This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Conti of the Catholic Review. Welcome to a special Christmas edition of Catholic Review Radio. With us today on the show is Archbishop William B. Laurie, 16th Archbishop of Baltimore, for what has become our traditional show at this time of year, to look on the year that's wrapping up and take a peek at the year ahead. Welcome to the show, Archbishop. Thank you very much, Chris. Good to be with you. This has been a busy year for you uh, and for the Archdiocese. You celebrated your 10th anniversary as Archbishop of Baltimore in May. And I want to talk to you about your trip to Ukraine and much more. But first, I want to address an issue that I know is important to you and to the faithful of the Archdiocese. That forthcoming report from the Maryland Attorney General about sexual abuse of children by clergy in the past 80 years. I know there are limits to what you can say right now because of the confidentiality order that's been placed on the case by the circuit court judge. But with that said, you've said more than a few times that the church of today is not the same as in the past. What kinds of changes have been made in the last 30 years or so to protect children and to create safe environments? Well, first of all, um, the whole subject of sexual abuse in the church um, cannot be had without my offering uh, an apology, a sincere apology to anyone who was harmed by a representative of the church, no matter when the abuse occurred. And I believe that the scars left by sexual abuse are, are very real. And I think that we need to continue our outreach as long as it is needed. I would say that for the last three decades, 30 years, however, uh, the church has truly changed its approach uh, to sexual abuse um, beginning in the 90s. We adopted a zero tolerance policy. So anyone um, who is known to have abused a, a, a minor uh, or a vulnerable person is not allowed to remain in ministry or in employment. Uh, we've done background checks. We've trained up tens of thousands of people to recognize the warning signs of abuse. We have reported for 30 years all allegations of abuse uh, to civil authorities, including by registered mail to the attorney general's office for the last two decades. And we have continued to offer counseling to anyone who has been abused. Um, I offer to meet with uh, victim survivors, as do my fellow bishops in the archdiocese. And we also have a settlement in program in place since 2007. None of this is perfect, but all of it represents a, a true transformation. I would also add that we uh, established an office for child and youth protection 
that ensures that we follow our policies. And, and all of this is overseen by an independent review board. Plus, we are audited annually on our compliance with the uh, Charter for the Protection of Children and Young People uh, issued by the Bishop's Conference uh, back in 2002. All this represents a uh, 180 degree change in how the church has been um, approaching this for 30 years. And we have not had a new allegation of abuse by a diocesan priest since 1993. So I think it is important to say that, yes, we acknowledge our past and we apologize for our past, but our apology means something because we have really tried to eliminate, as far as is humanly possible, um, sexual abuse from our ranks. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, you know, meetings with victim survivors. Without betraying any confidences, what's the impact of those meetings for you and for the, the person you meet with? I think the most important thing in those meetings is, is for me not to talk, but to listen. Mm -hmm. And to listen, not just with my ears, but with my heart. And uh, I've often been very moved uh, by the stories, the, the heartbreaking stories that have been told. Um, and it's important to listen. It's important to believe. And what I always hope will come out of these meetings is some measure of, of healing. And uh, healing, I think, always involves, healing never involves condoning a wrong, but it does mean uh, coming to a point of reconciliation in one's life. Without reconciliation, there is no healing. Mm -hmm. And so I always hope that these meetings contribute to reconciliation. And, and there have been beautiful instances where that has happened. Others are not there yet. And I think uh, the reason for offering counseling and other forms of outreach is because I realize, we all realize it's, it's for many people, a, a very long journey. Mm -hmm. And how does the church provide support for those who come forward with allegations of abuse against a priest, a deacon, religious, employee, volunteer? What things are being done? I mean, I think the first thing is that we encourage people to come forward. Um, we make it very plain how uh, an allegation can be reported. And number two, when it is reported, we believe what we hear, we we treat anyone making a report with utmost respect. A third thing is that we we truly do investigate it. Uh, we report it to law enforcement. If law enforcement investigates, we hold back. If law enforcement chooses not to, we investigate it anyway, and we do it. Uh, with uh, professional investigators. We don't just do it on our own. Mm -hmm. So we take the allegation seriously. That's number one. Number two, even if the veracity of it cannot be determined, we uh, provide counseling. And, and it's not counseling that we want the victim survivor to have. It is what the victim survivor says that he or she would need. 
and we do it for as long as is needed. And then in some cases, after a time, people might want some sort of uh, financial closure for this. And we've, we've had a program in place for a long time. It is administered uh, by retired non-Catholic judges. So we don't, we don't administer it uh, ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think the most important way is, is by having an ongoing relationship, as we do with many victim survivors, and an openness to do it with everyone else who is a victim survivor. Let's move on to another topic. Uh, you started a term last November as chairman of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Pro-Life Activities. You and I were in Germany for the Passion Play, in fact, on the day that the Supreme Court decision in the Dobbs case came down, which essentially reversed Roe versus Wade. How did that decision affect the pro-life cause in the U.S.? First of all, the Dobbs decision was something for which many had worked so hard and prayed so hard. And so it was an answer to prayers, to be sure, Um, because what it basically said is the Constitution really doesn't uh, have in it uh, a right to take unborn life. And and that's a landmark decision for sure. Um, It did, however, of course, um, bring fresh challenges to the pro-life movement. There were angry protests, and there still are. It certainly shifted the struggle to protect life um, more towards the states, and some. And and of course, it's there's a, a wide variety of approaches uh, in different states, and some states have enacted uh, excellent protections for unborn life. Others have doubled down. Maryland is a case in point. Sure is. Where they they want to become uh, kind of an abortion sanctuary, if you will. But there are still challenges at the federal level as, as well. So I, I think that um, it was definitely a time of transition. My basic message as chair of pro-life is that we love both the mother and the child, and that we are bound by ties of human and spiritual solidarity with both mother and child. Well, after the break, we're going to talk some more with Archbishop William Lurie of Baltimore about the year that has passed and the year ahead. You are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Your journey awaits. Guadalupe Radio Network's car raffle starts January 3rd. This luxury car is a beauty. A 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250 with a 0 to 60 acceleration of 6.3 seconds. Yet it still logs 36 highway miles per gallon of gas. Safety features include active brake and attention assist. Visit grnonline.com after January 3rd. Raffle tickets are $25 each, 5 for 100. Visit grnonline.com. Help GRN drive home the word of God. The Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. 
The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We are back on Catholic Review Radio with Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, talking about the 2022 that's just closing and looking ahead toward the new year. We were talking before the break about your work on the the pro-life committee for the U.S. bishops and uh, about how important it is to love both the mother and the the child. You had to give up the chairmanship of that committee just a year in uh, when you were elected in November as vice president of the bishops conference. Will you miss that committee and what issues will you help the bishops focus on as vice president? Yes, I will miss the pro-life committee. Uh, Pro-life committee is a challenging committee. It's it's uh, um, a, a lot of work, but it's blessed work. And I will really miss it. I've been on the pro-life committee since my first days as a bishop. And um, and I will genuinely miss it. But as vice president, I'm certainly going to continue to champion um, causes that are near and dear. That would include, of course, the protection of vulnerable human life would also include um, religious liberty uh, a committee that I also uh, chaired for two terms I would in general though want to engender in the church in the United States uh, with the help of all my brother bishops a spirit of unity a spirit of dialogue and an ability that has been lost in our culture to listen to one another, to respect one another, uh, to uh, find common ground, not by compromising our convictions, but actually by uh, understanding uh, the depth and beauty of our convictions um, more comprehensively and deeply. So I think it's an opportunity to help the conference in fulfilling its overall mission. And uh, I was very honored to be elected to this post by my brother bishops. Closer to home, you launched a new effort within the Archdiocese of Baltimore to address the needs of the church in the city of Baltimore and some of those parishes in the, in the county that, that border the city. That's called Seek the City to Come. Archbishop Lori, what's the purpose of this project and how long will it take? Seek the City to Come is uh, taken from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3. Uh, of course, the city to come in Scripture is the new and heavenly Jerusalem. But what we really want to do is to take a look at our city, our city of Baltimore, uh, with all of its needs, with all of its challenges, and to ask ourselves, how can the church help the city of Baltimore become more fit for the kingdom of God. And that means that this is rooted um, not simply in administrative or financial matters, but in the church's fundamental 
uh, mission of evangelization, preaching the good news, and drawing people into the orbit of Christ's life and love in and through the church. That means we have to uh, look at the effectiveness of our parishes in the city. It means we have to look at uh, those parishes that uh, are struggling to fulfill their missions or parishes that once did their mission in one way but now have to do it in other ways. It's an effort to take a look at all the resources we have at our disposal to do ministry in the city and ask ourselves, how can we deploy those resources and expand them so as to minister most effectively? And this is a process that is not top down, but bottoms up. So mm -hmm. Bishop Bruce Lewandowski is heading it for me, leading it. And uh, he and his uh, colleagues, particularly Jerry Berg, who is the project uh, manager, have begun a whole series of, of uh, listening sessions in parishes and regionally uh, so that we can really um, understand what the needs and opportunities actually are mm -hmm. and not simply go on preconceived notions. That will be followed uh, by a time of discernment, and then that will be followed by a time of decision and implementation. And I think it will certainly take us uh, three or four years, something on that order, the footprint of the church in Baltimore will look very different at the end of the process than it does now. But hopefully, and in God's grace, this will not represent um, a retreat from the city, but a renewed commitment to the city. Mm -hmm. Moving away from the city then and the archdiocese, this year your role in as Supreme Chaplain for the Knights of Columbus took you to Poland and Ukraine to see firsthand the relief work that was being done by the Knights for those affected by the war in Ukraine. Uh, you and I are talking just after President Vladimir Zelensky came to the U.S. to meet with President Biden and to speak to Congress. But you were there. You were in country. Where did you visit and what did you see? So the trip was in October, uh, late September and early October. I went first to Poland uh, because there are many Ukrainian refugees and the Knights of Columbus who have been in Poland for 15 years have mobilized uh, to um, help the church in Poland to receive a multitude of Ukrainian refugees. And what you see is a beautiful work of mercy going on. When retreat centers have become orphanages, large parishes have transformed their facilities to receive uh, refugee families, uh, there's food, there are all manner of distribution centers for necessities of life, but most of all, there is a loving welcome. Uh, so I, I did a whirlwind tour of those efforts in Poland and then crossed into the Ukrainian border and spent some time there in Western Ukraine, mostly around Lviv, um, I was the um, guest of Archbishop Maczynski, the Archbishop of Lviv. And, and again, the story was uh, the same. Uh, many of the refugees 
from Eastern Ukraine where the fighting and the shelling and the atrocities are going on at a heartbreaking pace have fled to the west of Ukraine. And again, the church with the great participation and leadership of the Knights has welcomed them. I met again, orphans, refugees, and you see Knights of Columbus doing things like loading up 18 wheelers and driving them into Eastern Ukraine, putting their lives at risk to deliver much needed supplies. You see, uh, not it's not only the charity that's done, it's the loving spirit of faith with which it is done. And just the opportunity to meet face to face with those who are most directly affected uh, by this unjust war. So I was um, really honored to do this, very proud of what the Knights are doing, but I also experienced the uh, determination of the Ukrainians. You saw that last night with, with yeah. when the president addressed the Congress, um, with their determination and uh, with their willingness to go about their lives as normally as possible uh, in spite of everything that's uh, going on there. I really admired the Ukrainians. At this time of year, a lot of people make new start thinking about making New Year's resolutions to get more exercise and eat better and things like that. You've always done a lot of walking with your golden retriever, Bailey. But I understand you really stepped up your exercise regimen this year. What have you been doing and what have been what have been the results? Well, um, I have always, I haven't always exercised, but I'd say for the last 15 years, I've made sure that I have some kind of exercise in my daily uh, routine. Bailey and I do take about a 3.5 mile walk around parts of Baltimore when we can. Um, it's not really, his schedule is not the problem. Usually it's mine. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't have that many meetings. But in addition, I try to get an hour in on the elliptical and I've lost some weight. And the more the weight you lose, the more you can, more vigorously you can exercise. So although I am a septuagenarian, I try very hard um, to keep myself in pretty good shape. And it's not because uh, I just want to feel better. I think it's important um, to help me do my my ministry here in Baltimore. And uh, so actually my, I think, I, I don't think I'm breaking HIPAA laws when I say the doctor was rather pleased with what I had done. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Now your mom also is very long lived. Your dad was long lived. Your mom is going to turn 103 in January in a, just a few weeks. Mm -hmm. How is she doing? Well, mom is okay. She's holding her own. Um, she she has suffered something of a decline in recent weeks, but mom is very clear. I I try to see her more frequently, uh, taking you know little one or two day trips out to see her. She lives near Louisville, and we have had some very very beautiful talks. Not quite like Augusta and Monica, but we have had some very heartfelt talks. That's wonderful. And I regard this time of her life as very, very beautiful and special in spite of the hardships that come with advancing years that she's going through. 
And will you get to see her for Christmas? Yeah, day after Christmas, and I'll be there for some days again with her. I was there last week, and I went Thanksgiving, and I I went also another time in November. Any chance I can steal away to have a few hours with mom, I, I do. That's awesome. Before we go, do you have a Christmas prayer and a blessing for the people of the Archdiocese and for our listeners? I do. I do. My prayer as we look to the new year is that uh, our focus will be on the Eucharist. As we celebrate Christmas and move into the new year, we celebrate the incarnation, uh, the presence of Christ in, in the world and in history through the Blessed Virgin Mary in the same way Mother Church gives us Christ in the Eucharist. And my prayer is that many people who are sort of sitting it out still from the pandemic will return to Mass on Sunday. And those who know they should be coming to Mass on Sunday will rediscover the truth and beauty of the Eucharist and the marvel of drawing so close to the Eucharistic Lord he who loves us and gave his life for us. And so that is my prayer for the whole archdiocese as we enter upon the year 2023. The Eucharistic Lord will bless uh, each member of the archdiocese and each of our families, our parish families, and our archdiocesan family as a whole. Thank you. And your blessing? And may God's blessing come upon uh, this uh, great archdiocese, but especially upon those in this archdiocese who are most in need. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. We have been talking today with Archbishop William Lorry, the 16th Archbishop of Baltimore. Thank you so much for being with us, and have a blessed Christmas and a happy new year. Thank you very, very much. This is Chris Dante of the Catholic Review, and you have been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.